the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I imagine there are so many of you that are listening to me this morning, whether it's here or on the internet or perhaps even on the radio, that you already know Christ is your Savior. And so intellectually, you know that it is a marvelous thing. Jesus went to the cross. And maybe a little bit experientially, when you've had time to kind of shut out all the distractions and really kind of get alone with Him and the Word and really focus, and you begin to think about truly how marvelous God's love is for us, as we're reminded of Romans when it says, while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. And that is said in the context of God proving His love toward us and how amazing that is. But frankly, I think even as believers in Christ, if we're totally honest, we would say we will never be able to plummet the depths of the love of Jesus Christ. And yet when I see this, how marvelous the Lord is, I'm reminded of the last week of Jesus' life. And we began last week a two-part series on the heart of Jesus Christ. And really what it is, it's that little bit of the last week of Christ's life. And we still won't be able to cover all of that. But we wanted to see the heart of of the Lord. And to do that, we began the week at what we normally would call Palm Sunday. Most Christians, I think, already know, you can't miss it, Resurrection Sunday, because we believed in Christ who died and rose again. And we've heard about Palm Sunday, but we don't know a lot about what went on. And I remember reading in Scripture about how many people were there. The crowds were so full. There were like two rivers of crowds that were coming from the mountains and all the way from the desert and the people that were in Jerusalem that the count is anywhere between 500,000 to a million people were there. And many of them were coming to uh, remember Christ coming in and laying down their coats and waving the palm fronds as they would any king because they were assuming that Jesus must be this Messiah. He must be the king that's going to come in and set everything right. And the Jewish leaders were kind of worried because could this bring in the Roman army against us and all that kind of thing going on. And I'm thinking about those people and they were saying, marvelous, marvelous, the Lord is here. But yet in their own heart, they didn't see him as the suffering savior. Those of you that have been new to the Gospel of John, you're going to find that in the first 11 chapters, that really takes the first almost three years of Jesus' life, but it's the last half of the Gospel of John that condenses the last week of his life. And as you go throughout the week, you're going to find that there is even more and more of the Gospel of John that's given toward the end of his life, including his resurrection, and the Gospel that spends the most time about his ascension before he goes up into heaven. And we're at that last week here. And to do that, we do want to discover the heart of the Lord because as we look at his life, we're going to see him face some tremendous challenges in his life. And I don't know if you're like me, but when we face challenges, crisis, drama in our life, especially if they happen that quickly, it really brings out our heart. 
The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when we have immediate reaction to something, it quickly reveals our heart. Most of us, perhaps as Christians, if we're again really frank and honest, we've learned to do a great deal of what I call sin management. Sin management is we see something happen, we have enough time to kind of work our heart, we know the right lingo, we kind of know how to navigate around it, but the real question is, is our heart really fully turned toward the Lord? And it's during those instant crises or those crises that continue to build and build and build and build and now we don't see any way out of it that begin to real, uh, reveal what our real heart is like. Well, we know that Jesus Christ is God. We also know that he was man, and we call that the incarnation. In fact, theologians would call that the hypostatic union. All God, all man, all wrapped up into one. And even the greatest theologians cannot totally divide the two as we see him in Scripture. But they will not deny that he was all God and all man. And so there are times that you'll see the, the manhood of Christ coming out. Obviously, when he would weep and when he'd get hungry and he'd get tired, things like that. And we know that God never sleeps, so that's the manhood of Jesus. Well, we want to look at his heart a little bit. Maybe as we look at his heart, that'll help us to get to know him. And I want you to really know him, not about him like this is some kind of a theology book. I really want you to know his heart. And if you're real quiet, you can almost hear it beating as you read through Scripture. So if you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to open up to the Gospel of John, and we're going to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. If you came without a Bible, there are Bibles in the chair racks in front of you. You can slide one out or sit next to someone or just follow along in the little outline that you have in front of you. Again, I just want to put God's Word within your sight so you and the Lord can sort all of this out. So that gives you a little bit of the background of what's happening here. But let's do a brief review from last week to talk about the three indications of his heart even from last week. Last week we learned that he had a broken heart. And that was kind of interesting because in the passage we studied, all we saw about Jesus Christ coming in, all these people kind of bowing down to him and doing all sorts of things on Palm Sunday, but you don't read about his heart here. But it was in Luke chapter 19 that said, even all these people that were paying all this homage to him, Jesus still had a broken heart. And I got thinking about that all week, about how that maybe sometimes I can know how to pay all the homage, sing the right songs, talk the right talk, and maybe act outwardly the way I should be acting. But I'm wondering if in my heart I really do see Jesus Christ and that he really loved me and that he went to the cross for me. Some people say, I'd like to get some deeper teachings in God's word. I want to get into the deeper life. I think I know what they mean. But frankly, I don't think you can get any deeper than John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life because that is the epicenter of all truth. That is Christ in action. That is compassion and love with its working clothes on for us. And so that's so important to see his heart. So maybe you could ask yourself, do we do a lot of the outward stuff to Jesus but inside we still have a, a heart that is not fully turned toward him? I went to a seminar one time and they talked about how you might describe a heart. You have what is called a hard heart. And then you might have a half a heart. And the real thing is, do you have a whole heart turned toward him? And I'm not the Holy Spirit. And so you and the Lord sense, where are you? Would you have a heart turned toward him? Because his heart was broken for those who could do the outward. But inwardly, they did not see Jesus Christ as God in the flesh who then would go to suffer on the cross for the sins of the world and rise again. Well, then we learned about his humble and obedient heart. Remember when he came into... Uh, Jerusalem there, he didn't ride a horse, he, ride, he rode a donkey. And that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And that in itself is huge because it is 
one more time verifying who Jesus is, but also sharing with us that this is God's mind on paper and it's protected because of prophecy, that it is true. So he came in on a donkey. You might say, well, what's the big deal about that? Donkeys would carry beasts of burden, things, etc. When a king would come in, a conquering king would come in, he would come on a royal steed. And not Jesus, again, he was humble and he was obedient. And he came in on that little donkey, showing that, again, he was a humble servant, someone who would pay for the sin of the world shortly. Now, I will tell you, Jesus is coming back. And it won't be so much for Jerusalem to pay for sin any longer because that's already done. He will come back as the conquering king and he will ride that horse. And that'll be a time in the future. So now you have this dilemma. If you looked in the Old Testament, you take a snapshot, you see the Messiah as a suffering Messiah. You take another snapshot, you see him as a king. And that's why there's so much conflict in Judaism today because they're not able to see the two of them together nor the timeline of how he functions. And Jesus was dealing with that whole dilemma even in today's message. He'll do the same thing. Now the obedient part is interesting because it's not just in that primary passage I left you. It's actually through the whole chapter 12 because you're going to hear all the time. He said, I'm only speaking the words of my father. I'm obeying. I'm doing what my father tells me to do. So he was following his father. Again, that's a dilemma for people that would like to find problems with the Bible because they said, well, if Jesus is God, then why is he servant to God the Father? If he's already God, why does he have to obey? What's going on? Again, it goes back to Philippians that talks about that hypostatic union where Jesus is God who had left heaven. He came down in the form of a man who then became a servant, who then died a horrible death. That was God in the flesh who died. And then it said he was highly exalted, lifted above all people and all power and that every name that is ever given in history will bow down and worship him. Now, there'll be those that'll be in heaven doing it, and there'll be those that'll be in hell recognizing that he is king of kings, but it's too late for them. And I don't know where you are in that. Believing in Christ can unlock heaven and all the glories of an eternal relationship with him. So again, going back to this, it talks about him obeying the Father in that manhood of his Christ-likeness. Again, modeling authority. I would tell you if Jesus would do that to God the Father, and Jesus is God now, the exalted Christ, and we know that he is, every one of us, ought to want to know his word, we want to hear his word, and we want to obey his word, watch this, from the inside out. So then we talked about the sacrificial heart of Jesus. It goes on in the passage last week, he talked about this wheat, that if it's left alone, it'll die alone, but if that wheat is placed in the ground and it dies, it then will produce much fruit. And he was really describing himself. If Jesus died of an old-fashioned heart attack in some field somewhere, there'd be no payment for sin. But he died in fulfillment of scripture of how he would die upon the cross prophesied. And when he died, he spilt his blood, showing the horrible sacrifice of a human being, very similar to the horrible sacrifice of lambs and goats in the Old Testament for the future coming of the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And he died there for us on the cross. He sacrificed and he was placed in the ground for three days to show that he was dead, 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 dead. And then he came back to life again. So like going into the center of the earth, coming back to life again, now there's fruit forevermore. And we are a result of that very event. And I praise God for it. And we have that to celebrate. It's a time for us to have joy and victory because of it. But that's only three of the seven observations that I have found just in chapter 12 about his heart. Let's see if we can discover some more today. So let's look at the fourth kind of heart that Jesus had. I call it the troubled heart. If you will, let's follow along beginning at verse 27 and 28. Jesus had a troubled heart. 
He said, my soul, and we know that that's the seed of our emotions and heart sometimes in scripture could refer to the thinking process of man. So I'm not here to split hairs here, but the idea that his being has become trouble. In fact, one person said the best way to do this has become trouble was such a trouble it was an agitation to him. So it wasn't like he had a hiccup or a little bit of a bad attitude. It wasn't any of that. He was greatly troubled over all that was going on. And he says, and what shall I say? Father. In other words, what shall I say? Father. Save me from this hour? It's kind of a question. Is that what I should say? Father, save me from this hour? We know that in other Gospels, he's going to say, this would just pass from me, basically, if I just don't have to go through this. So in other words, do I really have to go through this kind of thing? Now, we already know that before, listen, this is important, before the foundations of the world, God already had the plan of salvation already designed and getting ready to launch on a launch pad, knowing that man would already fall. He was created in innocence, not perfection. And so he fell, and when he fell, automatically, right then, he launched the salvation plan in motion, albeit small, different stages, until we got to this point here. All of that being said, again, this is the manhood of Christ. He's still God, and he's looking at it from the physical point of view. I don't like to use the word flesh because sometimes people see that as sinful. But the physical part, looking at it. So he says, what, shall I say this, that I might pass from this kind of thing? Go back to the passage. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. You might want to mark that in your Bible because what he's saying is simply, should I be asking this question, save me from this hour? No, no, it's saying, but for this purpose, I came. That is huge. All that he did is coming for this hour. If you recall through the writings of Christ, he says, not now, my time isn't yet, my time isn't yet, my time isn't yet. You get the final week of his life and now he is basically screaming, so to speak. My time has now come. This is the hour. This is the whole thing of creation uh, for me to be on this earth to pay for the sin of the world. Now, let me give you a parenthesis for those of you that want a little bit more. I would encourage you to do a study on the death of Christ, and you could add to that the resurrection, that whole dynamic, but particularly the death part. And I'd like you to see why is that death part of Christ, him paying for sin, so vital for you and me, for the whole world? Why is that so? What is this hour that makes it this whole purpose? How important that is. But it doesn't end there. Look what else happens next in verse 28. Again, the troubled heart and what's going on. Jesus then says, Father, glorify your name. And then there's a voice out of heaven, and we'll talk about that part in just a moment. Look at the passages I'm reading it to you now. It says, Father, save me from this hour. Maybe you and I have gone through times in our life where we would say the same thing. Lord, deliver me from what I'm about to go through. And then maybe soon, hopefully very soon, we get our spiritual mind in order, and we finally say, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. In other words, God brought me to this very crisis in my life. And now we pray, Lord, glorify, be glorified through all of this. Now, that's a little chain of events in your mind. You go through that. You know, oh, deliver me from this. Oh, no, no, but I'm here for the reason. Oh, oh, Lord, okay, glorify yourself through all that I'm going through. Now, that's what you want to take and own. Put it up on the refrigerator and say, this is where I want to go. Hopefully, I could even escape the first part. Lord, deliver me. But I think that if we all realize where we are as human beings, all of us are going to say, depending on the size of the crisis, Lord, I don't want to go through this. Now, who wants to go through a crisis? Are you fatalistic? You, you got some kind of a complex or something? I don't know. Normal people don't want to go through that. But spiritual people, they very quickly then say, but Lord, it's, there's purpose in this. Now, let's just talk about that moment. You were designed by God in his mind before you're ever placed in your mother's womb. That's why believers are so pro-life, because all of this started before mom and dad came together. You were already in God's mind altogether. 
And so he brought you into this world. But he didn't just bring you into this world so you become a snowflake in the blizzard of humanity or humanity is blizzard in all of history. You are purposely designed. Now, generally speaking, everything we do, whether we eat, drink, whatever we do, is to be for the glory of God. That is purpose. But there's also some specific purposes for your life. Now, I don't know what that is. I don't have any crystal ball. There is no such a thing, but the Lord will speak to you. How do I know there is? Look at all of the Bible characters. Some became quite famous, Abraham, Isaac, etc. They had purpose. Then there are some that are so that we don't even know. It talks about it in Hebrews, how that some were killed with the sword, some were martyred. We don't even know their names. They're not even recorded. But they had purpose with God. There's no mistakes. Now you can go through church history. Some are so well-known like my favorite, Hudson Taylor. In his mind, he gets the call to go to Africa or to go to China when he was 16. But before he ever got there, he went through so many medical issues that he almost died and he almost died through martyrdom and other issues in China, yet he still died an old man. That would tell me that he had purpose. So now I'm going to ask you some questions. What are you going through right now? What is the most difficult thing you're going through? Is it something that deal with your fitness? I mean, it's a seriousness, and you might be saying, Lord, deliver this. Can you get, get me out of this fitness problem? I'm, I'm sick. And, and that's not a bad thing to pray. I think we all could pray that we might be delivered from these. It's kind of a normal thing. But while you're in that mode, you might say, but Lord, before I'm taken away from this, is there a way for you to get more glory if I remain in this? Could it be with family? There's some family issues that are so tough that you'd like to say, Lord, deliver me from this. And yet the Lord says right now, it's purpose that you are in there because you are the light for that situation. Could it be with some friends? Some of you are single out here and you're dealing with some relational issues. And maybe God is saying, I know it's tough right now, but you need to man up, woman up, so you can become strong. And there's purpose in that suffering you might be going through. And it might even get hotter. Remember, this is the beginning of the week. It only got worse, physically speaking, for Jesus. Could it be with finances? Whatever they might tell us about this so-called recession or whatever, some of you could be horribly challenged right now financially. And it's only going to get worse and we don't know why. So I could go through this list, but maybe it's time for you to say, Lord, I want now, before you deliver me from this, I want to I, I know what's the purpose in this thing. And Lord, I want, I want you to be glorified. So don't remove any of this. Because the trial of my faith is more precious than gold and I want all this spiritual gold I can get so don't take me out of it. Just give me the strength to go through it. If you don't get the rest of this message and you get this and you own this for the rest of your life, you will be light years ahead of many other Christians. Now let me pause and say this. It does not mean that you will be delivered from it. The perfect example is our perfect Savior. The purpose was for him to die. No matter what happens, he, he couldn't... You can't make God not do something that he will to have done. I hope you remember that. Some people say, can, what about this, what about that? God is confined to his own word. You know, people, God can do anything, yes and no. He can't do anything beyond what he's already recorded in Scripture. He's locked himself into this word right here by choice, by a sovereign choice and wisdom that's farther than I could ever imagine. So I have this. So whatever that might be for you, you might have to go through that and you might die a painful death or you might lose your business. You might lose the relationship beyond your control after you've done everything you can. Part of that purpose now is what are you going to do to bring glory to the Lord? And let me add one other thought. I want to speak to some of you that some of those issues you're going through, if you can let the veil down and it's so private, you know you are in this um, terrible trial. 
But it's because you have sinned. You made choices contrary to God's word, mostly knowing it. Maybe not some. But whatever it was, you navigated without the full obedience to God's word, relying upon his spirit. And now you are in this mess. And we're saying, Lord, deliver me from this. It's like long ago, you older people will remember this, but sometimes kids would want to sow their wild oats and then pray for crop failure. You, you can't do that. So in that case, all you can say is, Lord, I, I am now suffering in this because of choices that I made. So now what is your purpose for me to handle this properly? I will own it. I will humble myself. I will learn every teachable thing I can from this thing. I will pay whatever price it takes, relationally, emotionally, socially, physically, financially, whatever it is to try to make this right. But Lord, even in my mess, I'm asking you to get glory out of this gutter right now. And then never do that thing again and learn from it. Well, again, he had a troubled heart. But we move away from the troubled heart. We'll go back to the passage again. He says this, and this is so neat because there's something that happens because he's, he's praying to the Father here and he's talking to him and Look what happens then. After he says, Father, glorify your name. It says, Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. I think that it is referring to the name and the reputation and all that's wrapped up around the person of Christ, primarily in the history of Christ before he came to this very point. And it might be, I got glory when you turned the water into wine. I got glory when you fed the five. I got glory in all that you did. I, I glorified you in everything that you did. But the greatest glory is now going to come when you go to the final end and I'm going to be glorified again in the future, again. And that again is a week away when he goes to the cross. So here's what I'm saying. Go back again. I have a problem. Oh, Lord, deliver me from this. Oh, but it's for this purpose. And I want to make sure I fulfill the purpose. And, all right, Lord, I, I, I want you to get the glory out of this. Here's what you want to end with. It's not just an empty plea saying, Lord, glorify this. It is a promise. When you go through this his way, no matter what you're going through, he will get glory. Now, for those of you that want a little bit more, you might be interested to know that God the Father only spoke three times regarding the Son. The first time is when Jesus launched his ministry when he was baptized and it said from heaven, the voice came down, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Later on in his ministry, you'll notice he went up to a mountain, up there a couple of his disciples are with him and says, man, we want to stay up here, the transfiguration, you know, this is so great. Another voice from heaven, God the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, but it added something. Now listen to him. That's huge. First part is glorify the Lord. Okay, we want you to get glory. Okay, now glorify the Lord. And he's getting glory. Now he says, listen to him. And maybe that's part of the train too. We go through the problem. Oh, Lord, deliver me. Mm, I want it for this purpose. Okay, what's the purpose in this thing? Lord, get glory through all of this. The Lord says, okay, I will get glory, but now listen, learn from this. So I don't know where you are, but are you learning? Okay, I hope I am. I, I hope I am. And then this time here, he then says those beautiful words that I glorify, you were glorified then, you'll be glorified again later on. All right, let's go to the fifth kind of heart that he had. And I think this heart would be what we call a confident heart. If you look again at the passage, <clears throat> beginning of verse 29, so the crowd of people who stood by and heard it, that sound from heaven, that voice, they said, well, it had thundered. Others were saying, no, it was an angel had spoken to him. Because they do remember in the Old Testament hearing about angels that spoke. Often they didn't know that those angels were the angel of the Lord who spoke. But anyway, those kinds of things. 
And Jesus said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes alone. Let me pause. These people here were saying it's thunder, it's some kind of an angel. You know what they were really not saying? They were not saying, that is the voice of God. I am now in the presence of Jesus who is God in the voice of God the Father and I bow down and I listen. And so I don't know, but maybe the Lord is speaking to you and I'm not saying thunder and angels, but he is speaking through the word right here. Would we be now saying, no, that's really not it and I don't believe him and I'm not going to listen here and it can't be right. And we spend all of our life analyzing, trying to figure all this stuff out rather than just blanket, flat out, simple, quiet, childlike faith obedience. Just do it. Just do it. And they didn't get that message. Well, let's go back to the passage again. And Jesus said, This voice has not come for my sake. Why? Because he already knew what was going on. But for your sakes. And now here's what he's confident in. There's four things here you want to mark it. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The third is, And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. That's third and fourth. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death. We'll talk about that in a moment. Notice what he's confident in here. He says, now judgment is upon this world. Well, you already know by now through our study of the Gospel of John, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn or judge the world, but that through him the world might be saved. So what he's talking about is this whole thing of him going to the cross, because that's the context. He's speaking about the death and all of that. It's at that death time now that all of that is going to be unleashed. Now, you know John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world, etc. And I just quoted the verse 17 that says, He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. But if you remember, verse 18 says, But he that believeth in Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, only because they haven't believed. So all of this condemnation all centers around Jesus Christ, what He's done for us on the cross, and believing in Him. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.